Welcome to the Valleybrook Community Church Podcast, and thank you for joining us online today. You're about to hear a sermon from our current series, Kingdom Culture. We are living in the midst of cultural changes that most of us have never experienced. As a result, we see an ensuing chaos that some have dubbed the culture of outrage. However, as followers of Jesus, we are called to build a kingdom culture. This 12-part message series, Kingdom Culture, is focused on doing God's will to see the culture of the kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven. To watch any of our previous messages or find all listening platforms, we encourage you to visit www.valleybrook.cc forward slash on demand. Well, good morning, everybody. It's good to see you here in the building and online. We're glad that you're with us. We're in the second week of this series that we're calling Kingdom Culture. And God put this whole series on my heart because as I was looking at what's going on in the greater world and in our nation and in the culture of the world, I realized that as followers of Jesus Christ, we need to focus in on the truth that as believers, we've been invited into the kingdom of God and we need to live as kingdom influencers as we live every day of our lives. I do want to encourage all of you to invest your time in the kingdom culture in all of the ways that we're encouraging. Obviously, joining us on Sunday morning, doing the daily devotions. You can get all of that material online if you go to the other resources tab on our website. You can also pick up the materials today. Harrison talked about them earlier, but it comes with a journal that I want to encourage everybody to use to take notes on the messages and on what what you're learning from the scriptures and, and even the life group material. We do want to encourage everybody to join the life group. If you can't do it for some reason, as I said, the, the materials, the, the videos, as well as the lessons are there. So you can do it in your home with your family if you like to. So today we're going to look at this truth about the kingdom culture. The kingdom culture is grace-based. And so let's dive into this second week. To say that the kingdom culture is grace-based is to expose a shocking truth to that none of us, absolutely none of us, deserve to be invited to be a part of the kingdom of God on earth, much less do we deserve to be given the promise of spending eternity in heaven. But it's because of the grace of God that we've received both. He saw that we were his enemies. He saw that we were sinners. And he knew that on our own, there was nothing that we could do to be a part of his kingdom on earth or in heaven. And so he sent his son, Jesus, that gracious act to pay for our sins so that we could be part of his kingdom while we live on this earth, as well as when we die and go to heaven. So, To say that the kingdom culture is grace-based, it implies this. It implies that we understand what grace is, and it implies that we understand what grace means. So let's sort of dig in here this first point, and I want us to understand that we can only be saved by grace. And let me start with a story that maybe will illustrate this. Michelangelo, the great Renaissance artist, was known for his statue of David, for the incredible Sistine Chapel that he painted. But what many of us don't realize is that Michelangelo lived during the Protestant Reformation when it was sweeping through Europe and people were learning that salvation doesn't come through doing good works, but as the Bible says, it comes through grace by faith, that we're justified before God by grace. Now, 
To know a little bit about Michelangelo is to know that he was plagued throughout his life with his own high expectations for himself that he struggled to meet, as well as the high demands of his artwork from others. And as he approached his death, it's said that he began to experience a spiritual rebirth, because this is right through the period of the Reformation. One of his final works was intended to be his gravestone, and it really illustrates what was going on in his life. It um, is a sculpture of four people. There's the body of Jesus after he's been taken down by the cross. Mary Magdalene is on one side, his mother, Mary, the mother of Jesus, on the other side. And, and the man holding Jesus' body is Nicodemus. The man who had that conversation with Jesus about the fact that we need to be born from above to become, enter into the kingdom of God, to have a, a rebirth. And people say that the portrayal of Nicodemus's face is actually a self-portrait by, by Michelangelo himself. And this can be found in the Dumo Museum in Florence, Italy. And across the room on the opposite wall, there's a poem written by Michelangelo. And in that poem, you understand what he's going through as he's recognizing that all of his life, his idol has been his artwork. And this is the last phrase in the poem. It says, let neither painting nor carving any longer calm my soul. Instead, turned to that divine love who to embrace us opened his arms upon the cross. You hear in that, this idea that Michelangelo has come to realize that no matter how many good works he did for the church, no matter the huge and beautiful painting he did in the Sistine Chapel, no matter what he did in life, he realizes it's not what gives him eternity. It's not what gives him salvation. It's by grace that he was saved by faith. You know, there's several verses in the Bible that give us the doctrine of salvation by faith, and, and it can be found in crystal clear scriptures. Probably the most frequently quoted verse is from Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, and it says this, For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. Now, a less familiar verse comes from Paul's second letter to his protege, Timothy, where he writes this, he, meaning God, he has saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. Now, I bring that verse up because it points out that God has saved us because of his grace, but also because he has a greater purpose for our lives. Now, yes, part of that purpose is to save us for eternity. And yet we need that because we need to understand that because being saved by God's grace, as we saw in Ephesians, is a gift to us. No matter how hard we try, we couldn't get there on our own. So the gracious gift of God, salvation through faith in Jesus' saving work on the cross for us brings us eternal life. And it's important for us to understand this big picture that it was not just for grace, but for God's purpose that he saved us. Because we tend to 
personalize everything. And we tend to make everything about us. And so when we think about salvation, we think about it just being God and us. And while our individual salvation is a part of God's plan, there's also a purpose in our salvation that is more than about just being in eternity after we die. In God's plan, His grace is not limited to our self-centered view of grace. God's purpose and plans are far greater and grander than we can comprehend. And let me illustrate this by going back to Ephesians chapter 2. In the very next verse, uh, it says this, For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. You see, we're saved by grace, not just for someday off in the future when we die and we go to heaven. God saves us by his grace so we can be part of the kingdom of God now, so that we can be part of his kingdom plan while we're living on this earth. He saves us to live in and to work in the culture of the kingdom of God in the present day, not just someday off in the future. Now, as I've uh, explained about God's purpose and plan for us, I recognize for some of us that can be uh, overwhelming because some of us feel like we have so many demands on our lives. And and even if it's God who's got something else for us to do, that can be overwhelming. But there's something amazing about God's grace that maybe we haven't recognized recognized before. He wants us not only to be saved by grace, but to be strengthened by his grace. In his letter, James, the apostle, challenges Christ followers when they embrace the culture of the world instead of embracing the culture of the kingdom of God. He really goes at it with them. And this is what he says, you adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think Scripture says without reason that he jealously longs for the spirit he has caused to dwell in us? But he gives us more grace. That is why Scripture says God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. Now, one scholar writes about this verse saying this, that that God has set a high standard for wholehearted love and devotion on the part of his people. But... God gives grace to us that is greater than the rigors he demands of us. You see, God in his grace gives his followers the help they need to resist the appeal of the world and to remain loyal to him. And in this passage, when he talks about the humble, he's talking about the people who will willingly submit to God's desire for them rather than proudly insisting on satisfying their own desires for pleasure that we're continually bombarded with in the world. Now now think about how wonderful this is. By his grace, God saves us. And then God has a purpose for us to know in our lifetimes while we're on earth. And he gives us even more grace to fulfill that purpose for which he created us to do. Now, that knowledge should take any feelings of being overwhelmed away from us. In fact, that should help us rest in grace, to to find peace in God's grace, to, to not get stressed out. 
And the reality is this, if we ever feel unqualified, if we ever feel unweak, if we ever feel like we're unable to fulfill this promise that God's grace has given to us, all we need to do is look at this scripture from 2 Corinthians. The Apostle Paul was overwhelmed by something that was going on in his life, and he sensed God speaking to him. And this is what he said God said to him. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. We need to understand that God gives us strength by giving us grace, and he tells us that that's all we need. His grace is sufficient to take us through this day. Uh, Alyssa Morgan understands this in a very personal way. She is the president of an international ministry for mothers. It's called MOPS, or Mothers of Preschoolers. And she writes this about her own sense of calling to do something in her lifetime that she didn't think she could do. She said, I am probably the least likely person to head up an organization for mothers. I grew up in a broken home. My parents were divorced when I was five years old. My older sister and younger brother and I were raised by an alcoholic mother. While my mother meant well, she goes on, most of my memories are of me mothering her rather than of her mothering me. You see, alcohol altered her love, turning it into something that wasn't love. I remember her weaving down the hall of our ranch home in Texas a glass of scotch in one hand. She would wake me at 2 a.m. in the morning just to see if I was asleep. And then at 7 a.m., I had to wake her up to try to get her out of bed to go to work. Sure, there were some good times, Christmas and birthdays, when she went all out and celebrated us as children. But even those days ended up in the warped glow of alcohol. What she did right was lost in what she did wrong. So I felt very unqualified to lead an organization for mothers. But 10 years ago, when I was asked to lead this vital ministry that nurtures mothers, I did two things. The first thing I did, she said, is I went straight to my knees and I prayed and I asked God for strength. And the second thing she said I did, I went to my therapist. The question I had was, how can God use me, someone who has never been mothered in the best of circumstances, to nurture other mothers? The answer came, she said, as I gazed into the eyes of other moms around me, and I saw their needs mirroring my own needs, and I realized that God would take my deficits and make them an offering. I realized that God's grace was sufficient for me in this calling that he was giving me. You see, Alyssa Morgan realized that God strengthened her through his grace. She discovered his sufficiency by his grace. And that gave her the power to lead this ministry. Even though she felt weak, she realized that through his grace, he was perfecting her weakness and making her strong to lead this grace-based ministry that comes around mothers. So if the kingdom of God is grace-based, and if we are saved and strengthened by God's grace, what are we supposed to do with that knowledge? You know, the reality is this. As followers of Jesus Christ, we can take a lot of Bible information in, a lot of, a lot of doctrine, a lot of, of, of Scripture in, and, and we can get a lot of head knowledge. 
But if that's all we ever do with it, it's useless. Because it's supposed to be applied to our life and it's supposed to change how we live in the world. It's supposed to be part of our life living out the kingdom culture. The reality is this. To live it out, we have to become ambassadors of the kingdom grace. Ambassadors of kingdom grace. Let's look at the words of the Apostle Paul and see how he talks about how we've received grace and what we do with it. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. So we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. In verse 18, Paul is sharing the message of the gospel that we have been reconciled to God through Christ. It's the message of grace. And for us as Christians, we need to understand that being saved by grace, by faith in Jesus, is supposed to be our worldview. It's the Christian worldview. It's the kingdom worldview. So for us, everything we do and say should be seen as originating from that truth that Jesus reconciled us to God so we can have this ministry of reconciliation. Pastor Ed Stetzer points this out. He says, Jesus started this work of of reconciliation. He does the work. He finished the work of reconciliation. He finished it for us when we were dead in our trespasses and sins. His grace to us shapes how we extend grace to others. His grace to us shapes how we extend grace to others. And then Paul goes on, and we see that not only did God extend his grace to us by reconciling us to him, but that he gave us a ministry, the ministry of reconciliation, so we can extend grace to other people. Think that through. God gives us grace, which strengthens us, and then he gives us the opportunity, a ministry calling to extend grace to others. That's why he calls us. Christ's ambassadors. I was looking at a study of the language of ambassadorship in the New Testament, and Anthony Bash highlighted four crucial functions of an ambassador in the first century Roman Empire. And this is where the, Paul gets his language of what it means to be an ambassador. So he notes that ambassadors had a specific task to accomplish. They traveled to a specific place to accomplish that task to a specific people group. They dedicated themselves to the interest of the ones they were sent to care for. And they didn't return until the task was completed. You see, ambassadors are more than just messengers. They're representatives for the mission that they've been endowed with the responsibility to engage another culture with. That means they go to where they're sent. They they go to accomplish the task of their sovereign, of their king. 
They go and they study the culture. They, they learn the nuances of the language. They, they eat the food. They seek to build bridges in the community, sharing the king's message with clarity and zeal. So with those functions in mind, there's little wonder that Paul used this same language for followers of Jesus Christ who have been sent on the mission for the kingdom of God. God has given us a task and he's called us to a mission field where to persist until he returns or until he calls us home, whichever comes first. Every follower of Jesus then we understand, is called to be an ambassador for King Jesus to the people in the culture of the world in which we live in. We don't have to leave our community to do this because the community we live in today embraces the culture of the world. But as followers of Jesus Christ, we're called to embrace the culture of the kingdom of God and take that culture into the culture of the world. So what does that mean? That means that we need to look at the relationships and the circle of friendships and acquaintances that God has placed us in. That didn't happen by circumstance. That happens intentionally because you are the most qualified person to connect with your friends about what it means to be a part of the kingdom of God. We're supposed to, to study their lives and their culture. We need to break bread with them. We need to build relational bridges with them so that we can communicate the reconciling message of God's grace in the words that we speak and the things that we do. Communicating the message of God's reconciling grace to people is what we're called to do. Now listen, I recognize that this can be hard, but the Bible exhorts us with these words. In Hebrews chapter 12, we read this. Make every effort to live in peace with everyone and to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one falls short of the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. See to it, see that no one is sexually immoral or godless like Esau, who for a single meal sold his inheritance rights as the oldest son's. Afterward, as you know, when he wanted to inherit this blessing, he was rejected. Even though he sought the blessing with tears, he could not change what he had done. Now, let's just focus on verse 15. It says, see to it that no one falls short of the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. What Paul's getting at here is that we need to make sure that no one falls short of God's grace. That means we need to make sure that they don't miss out on the message of God's grace and that he wants to strengthen us with grace. So what does that mean? Realistically, that means we need to get involved in other people's lives. We need to know if they're missing the grace of God. We need to encourage them and we need to do whatever it takes to help them lean in to this grace-based culture. And then when he talks about seeing that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble or defile many, he's saying, listen, we need to do whatever it takes to make sure that we practice a positive attitude that is Christ-like so it doesn't contaminate the lives of other believers and so that it lifts up the kingdom culture to other people. And then it goes into this interesting little scenario about Esau. 
Esau is an example of someone who acted in an immoral and a godless manner. Esau did something he would later regret. As the oldest son, he gave up his birthright. He sold it to his younger brother, Jacob. He sold it for a meal. And then when he realized what he had done, he had to deal with the consequences of his action. He couldn't he, he couldn't get back what he had sold. He had to deal with what he had done. And even though he could still receive God's grace, he couldn't get back what had happened. We're supposed to make sure that no one falls short of the grace of God. To encourage one another as ambassadors of the kingdom of God. So let me close with what I think is a beautiful example of what it means to live in the kingdom culture that is grace-based. Author Philip Yancey writes about his experience in his church from decades ago. He said, I learned an enduring lesson about grace from my own church's response to a young man named Adolphus. He was wild and had an angry look in his face. And he said, we were an inner city church and it seemed like every church had somebody like Adolphus. He had spent some time in Vietnam and must have had been where his troubles started, and he could never hold a job for long. He had fits of rage and craziness that, that sometimes landed him in a psychiatric hospital. At church, if Adolphus took his medication on a Sunday, he was manageable, but otherwise, church would be far more exciting than usual. Adolphus may start at the back and high hurdle all the way down the pews to the center of the church in the front. He might raise his hands in the air doing a hymn and make obscene gestures, or he might wear headphones so loud that everybody could hear the music during the sermon. Philip goes on, he says, in our church, we had something that we called prayer, prayers of the people. It would be a time when people, everybody would stand up and somebody would raise their hand and they say, I want to pray for peace for the world or someone who's sick or something like that. And then people would respond, Lord, hear our prayer. Well, Adolphus soon figured out that the prayers of the people provided an ideal platform for him to air his concerns. One day he said, Lord, thank you for a woman's beautiful body. And everybody sort of froze and didn't know what to do. Another time he said, Lord, thank you for my big recording contract that I signed last week. But everybody knew that that wasn't going to happen because he was fantasizing about being a musician, but he didn't have the skills. So a group of people from the church began to gather around him. One was a doctor, one was a psychiatrist, and, and there were others. And they took on caring for Adolphus and showing him grace. And every time there was an outburst in church, they, they pulled him aside and they talked him through what was going on. Over time, they learned that Adolphus sometimes walked the five miles to church on Sunday because he couldn't afford the bus fare. So members of the church began to show him grace. They would give him rides. They would help him get to church. Some of them invited him over to their houses for meals. And almost every Christmas he spent at our assistant pastor's house. One time boasting about his musical talent, Adolphus asked if he could join the music group that would sing during the communion service every Sunday. After hearing the audition, the, the leader settled on a compromise. Adolphus could stand with the others and sing, but he couldn't plug in his electric guitar that he swore that he could play so well. So each time the group got together and performed, Adolphus was there singing his heart out and playing his guitar that was unplugged so no one could hear that he couldn't play. 
You know, against all odds, Adolphus' story has a happy ending. He got medication that helped and he was able to calm down. He started calling people in the church when he felt his craziness coming on and they would surround him and help him out. He got married and he eventually joined the church. Yancey concludes this story by his own reflections. He goes, grace comes to people who do not deserve it. And for me, Adolphus came to represent grace. In his entire life, no one had invested that kind of energy and concern in him. He had no family. He had no job. He had no stability. But the church became for him the one stable place in his life. And it accepted him. Despite all of everything he had done to try to earn rejection. Yancey says, personally... It gave him a second chance, a third and a fourth. He said, we Christians who have experienced God's grace were able to transfer the grace that we knew we have received to Adolphus. And that stubborn, unquenchable grace, he writes, gave me an indelible picture of what God puts up with by choosing to love the likes of people by me. I'm gonna invite the worship team to come forward. You know, the reality is this. We've all been saved by grace. We all have been saved not by anything that we've done. And we've been strengthened by grace. We've been given grace that will help us know that it's sufficient to help us through whatever we have to deal with in life. And we've been called to be ambassadors of the message of grace, to take the message of the kingdom of God out into the world that doesn't live by the values of the kingdom culture. But since we know it and since we've experienced, we've been called and challenged to do that. And so this morning, I want to close our time with a prayer for all of us that we would be ambassadors of the grace of God and take the kingdom culture into the world, that we could have an influence on that. And now more than any other time in our world, in our nation, the influence of the kingdom culture needs to be communicated to the world through the body of Christ. Now, maybe if you've never embraced the grace of God and accepted his forgiveness of your sins, you'd like to do that today. And so in this prayer time, I'm going to invite you to pray a prayer to commit your life to Jesus and accept his grace for you. And if you pray that prayer, I would encourage you to to send us an email at connect at valleybrook.cc so that we can encourage you with some material afterwards. So wherever you are, would you bow your heads and close your eyes? Father, as we come into this place, we come, so, come knowing that you have saved us by grace and that you want to work in our lives as you call us and strengthen us to be your ambassadors. Lord, I pray for anyone today who has never recognized that Jesus died so that they could have not only life forever in heaven, but have the power of the kingdom of God and its values living out through them right now. And if that's you, I invite you to believe in Jesus Christ right now and become his follower by simply putting these words in your own words and praying them silently wherever you are. Here's the first phrase you need to pray to God. Dear God, I believe in Jesus. I believe that Jesus died to pay for my sins. And I believe that Jesus rose again from the dead. 
And now I want to follow him all the days of my life. And so, Lord, we conclude this prayer praying for each and every one of us that we accept and recognize that we've been saved by grace and that salvation comes with a calling. We are your workmanship and you want to work in us right now to be your ambassadors, strengthened by your grace, taking the grace-based message of the kingdom of God into a world that doesn't know that. So help us reach out to the people that you've placed in our lives. Help us share that grace-based message in the way that we speak, in the way that we live, and the way that we serve others. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. It is our sincere hope that it has blessed you. For more information, visit our website at www.valleybrook.cc.